at 30 years old, wrote in her diary, I am 30 years of age. The age at which Christ began his mission. She wrote, now no more childish things, now no more vain things. Now Lord, let me think only of thy will. In a diary, Jim Elliot, murdered in South America by the Orca Indians, wrote these words, God, I pray thee, lights these idle sticks of my life, consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Miriam Booth, the daughter of the founder of the Salvation Army, was brilliant and cultured lady. Her ministry had begun with promise completely uh, of great success, sorry, a promise of great success for she was being wonderfully used of the Lord. In a short while, however, her health completely broke down and she was brought to the point of death. A sympathetic friend spoke to her one day about the tragedy of being laid aside and the fact that she was being prevented from doing the Lord's work. Without a look of contentment on her face, Miriam Booth said, It is wonderful to do the Lord's work, but it is greater still to do the Lord's will. Jesus said, Not my will, but your will be done. And I want to preach to you this morning a very simple message I've called, Your Life, His Will. All of life and creation are purposed by God to be centrally situated in His will. That means every single person here, not unmarried people, but every single individual person here, must be centrally situated in the will of God. It is God's purpose for all of our lives. It is God's divine and expressed desire that all of creation will find themselves in His will. His will in our lives must be paramount. Above everything else, His will must always be done. Genesis 6. 13 through 18. I want to look at a story with you in the Word of God. And in this passage that we're about to read, the Bible declares to us a story of a man named Noah. And the Bible says, And God said to Noah in verses 13, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Verses 18. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with 
you. So the story of Noah is a story that relates to all of humanity. See, the will of God, when we talk about the will of God, it often seems unpopular. It seems unappealing and unattractive. It seems strange in the midst of the world that we are living in. It looks weird for someone who is in this time and this day and age to be not chasing after the, uh, the, the pleasures of this world, but to say, you know what, I want to do the will of God. That is the desire that seems so un realistic, seems so unreal today and so uncommon today. See, Noah is given the instruction in our passage to build an ark. In a time where there is no rain, can you imagine how weird this is? It will be like us standing outside the church building. And then we bring in gopher wood and we bring in all the various types of materials and we start building. And people will look at us and say, what if the world is wrong with you? One bunch of weirdos, right? We laugh at at doomsday preppers. We laugh at them. We say, what in the world is wrong with them? They carry an oxygen tank wherever they go. You know, they, they have a life west, you know, just in case. And then, you know, you, have you heard the, 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 I don't know, I should say this, but they wear clean underwear just in case they get into an accident. <laughs> so doomsday preppers, you call them. But the point of the matter is, beloved, it is weird. It is weird to build an ark in a time where it is dry. It is a dry season. But listen to me, beloved. It was God's word against what Noah was seeing in reality. Noah looked at the clouds and he said, There are no sign of rain. Why in the world would you want me to build an ark? And I think the simple short answer to that is because it is the will of God. It is the will of God. Yet in the face of all this, listen to me, beloved, carefully here. God instructed him, but God also provided him with specifics that were meant to be followed. The instructions that God gave him were simple, short, and sweet. And much of the will of God to you and me on the external never makes sense. It often can be seen as a waste of time, To the carnal mind, it is foreign. But the will of God will always seem unattractive to the people that are on the outside. It will seem unappealing to the human heart because the truth is the will of God. Anything that you would attribute as the will of God for you. My wife and I, when we went to begin working from the month of June, we believe it was the will of God for us. It may not be what we wanted to do, but I have to put food on my kids' my table. I also need to eat, not only my kids, right? I have to pay their school fees. I have to pay for my house. I have to pay for the bills. I have to take care of needs that are represented. And so God blessed us while others may be going through a season of famine. Are you with me? So God's will is always 
in that way. And there are seasons where God blesses someone else while someone else is going through a season of famine. This is what we say, as they say, kita jaga kita. We look out for one another. This is our church. We do everything and anything we can within the capacity of God's will to make it happen. And this is what matters in the sight of God, beloved. That God is very clear that though there are things, He gives us the instruction manual, He provides us with the specifics, but He leaves it at that. He doesn't go into too much detail. Do you realize? Only in two verses, verses 15 and 16, or verses 14, 15 and 16, are the instructions... And here is Noah, he's supposed to massively build this huge ark from those three verses of instructions. How many know sometimes God doesn't give you too much details? He just wants you to start. He wants you to begin doing what you're called to do. And God, as we see this, it reveals His heart. It reveals who He is to us. But how well we please God goes beyond merely lifting the gopher wood, laying it down, putting the tar on, placing the windows in place. That is not what God is looking for. God is looking for the attitude and the character, the spirit in which we do His will. The willingness to sacrifice because we know that His will requires sacrifice. His will requires that we lay down our lives. His will demands that we deny ourselves, beloved. His will demands that we prioritize His kingdom above everything else. And these are vitally necessary if we're going to do His will. The Spirit is equally important as getting the job done. God will always equip us, and I'll talk about that at the end of this, of this sermon, to fulfill His will. We can see from this passage, it's very fascinating to me. Nowhere in this passage do you find God telling Noah, now I want you to go and chop some wood down and then bring it. Okay, and then uh, uh, Noah, I'm going to ask you to make an X. So you're going to find this wood and you're going to put it together. None of that. I am assuming, and I, I, and I believe I'm right, that God miraculously provided Noah with the equipments and the tools he needed to build the ark. It came miracle. How does it happen? We'll talk about that at the end. But the ark and the building of the ark, beloved. How many know the, the will of God, to do the will of God, will always demand self-denial. It will cost us something. The will of God is never cheap. See, the Christian world wants to make the will of God seem cheap. But when you remove the quality and you remove the appreciation of God's will, it becomes so cheap that people no longer appreciate when you're doing the will of God. People mock you when you're doing God's will. People laugh at you when you're doing God's will. People say you're crazy when you're doing God's will. 
how well we follow the specifics of God's will will essentially reflect our obedience to God. Obedience and blessings are synonymous, beloved, in getting God's involvement. When a person is obedient and a person is walking in God's obedience, I'm telling you, it brings God down. That's where miracles happen. That's where signs and wonders happen. That's where favor happens. And in a church like this, God has very specific purposes for every person here and how well we execute those purposes, how well we execute His will is going to determine the well-being of His body. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Listen to this. If prophesy, prophesy in proportion. If, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So every person here, every individual here has a will that God has placed in your life. There are people here, God blesses you financially. Doors just keep opening up. Miraculous finances. Because God knows if I bless you, you will honor me. And then there are people here who God knows if you come into prayer, there is going to be an establishing of dominion. The presence of God is going to be a, a presence that God is going to be able to fill into the house of God. There's going to be dominion. Then there are those who are called pillars in the house of God. People who are immovable. I thank God for those people. I was listening to a testimony just yesterday by Pastor Jeremy Meyer. He was sharing, they pastor in Florida, Florida, and he was sharing the story about a woman who's in church who's been there for 28 years. You know, there's a blessing in longevity. She lost her husband, lost her kids, all went into the world, and she still faithfully serves God. Great is the reward. 28 years. Today, you find someone, just like a job, we we're just talking to someone yesterday and he's telling us, oh, I work, you know, three, uh, three years and I move on. I work three years and I move on. I start, you know, when I'm doing quite well, I start, you know, I, I stay. When I'm not doing well, I move on. Like, where's the consistency? Where's the longevity? Do you remember our grandparents used to work and they used to work for a long time in a particular place? Longevity is out the window. Pillars are vital to the church. People who can be depended on. You play a major part in doing what you do. You know, because of your faithfulness, I can write sermons that I write. I can preach to you. My wife and I can go outreach on the weekends. We can go on the streets and witness in SS15. Why? Why do we do that? Because we have the ability to reach more people for Jesus. 
Beloved, I, I, you know, the truth is, we, we can sit around and say, you know, I'm writing three sermons a week. Sometimes barely two people watching on YouTube. I'm not angry. I am not. You put all this effort, sweat and time and every morning you're up at 4am praying for people in the church, laying hold of fighting for victory, fighting for breakthrough and your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's with Satan who is beguiling and cheating and lying to Christians who are falling trapped to the devil. Sometimes it can get tiring. I was telling the church ever since we started doing what we're doing, we're so bushed. I'm up at 4 in the morning all the way to about 3.30, 4 in the afternoon. We are busy. Calls. This, that, this, that, this, that. And then at 4, 30, 4 o'clock, the kids get off school. Mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy. And you got to take them out for running. Go cycling. Go, you know, exercise. And then you come back and then you finish off. By the time you settle down, it's about 7.38. Help them do what they need to do. And then the next thing you know, you're tired and you go to bed. And sometimes the only time I get a chance to write a sermon is in the morning at four in the morning. Because I need quiet. And, and, and that is the will of God. It's not appealing. It's not attractive. But oftentimes it goes unappreciated. Let's talk secondly. Because the will of God is always the greatest place of protection. Matthew 12, 50. Look at this passage. Look at what Jesus says. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There is a camaraderie, a connection, a linkage, a relational bonding right here. For a person who does the will, that means you become personally attached to the living God. There is a link, there is a, there is a connection right here and there is so much of truth in that scripture and I can dare say to you, beloved, the safest and most protected place a believer can ever be in is in the will of God. Disobedience to the command, whatever God commands you to do, whatever God tells you to do, if you disobey, you can go against it. You can step out of God's will. You can say, ah, it's not important for me to follow what God says. It's not vital for me. And life may be okay for a while. But beloved, can I tell you, the day will come when you will pay the price. Your children will pay the price. Read the book of Peter. I was reading it yesterday and I was so moved and encouraged by what he said. The Bible begins to say, don't look at the wicked man who is prospering. How many know there are tons of people who are doing all kinds of things? The parliament is filled with them. Okay, take that out of the camera. <laughs> they get away with it, right? And how offensive we can feel. Right? Or, or some people now, you know, what is this 51% equity thing? I mean, let's not talk about it, right? <laughs> but the point is, how is it possible? You know what Jesus says is the answer? And I'll preach on it. Like I always say, I'll preach on it. You know what Jesus says? Don't look at them. Look at me. Don't, 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 don't get carried away. Fight to keep your heart right. 
That's more important. Don't get bitter. Don't get resentful. Don't get upset. Don't get angry. I will give you strength not to, get, not to fall trapped. Look to me. You see, disobedience to God's command will remove you from the will of God. That's the easiest way to get away from the will of God. See, the will of God demands absolute obedience. Genesis 2 verses 8, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. Okay, so He, he put the man there. He created a garden, right? So what was the garden? The garden was God's will. Let, let's, let's relate right here. The garden was God's will. I command you to stay within these boundaries. Right? So I create this garden and I made this for your pleasure, for your comfort, for you to enjoy life. It will be a place of protection. It will be a safe environment. All of these things will be good for you. And then he goes on to say in verses 16 and 17, beloved, in Genesis 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. What was the reason, Adam and Eve, what drew them outside the will of God? Disobedience. Their flesh. Their desire to say, no, I'm not doing it God's way anymore. God's way is not working. Do you know you can subtly do that? Very discreetly do that? You say, you know, I, I, I don't want to pray anymore. Maybe I'll just pray once every week. Maybe I'll just read the Bible once every week. And, and, and you slowly start drifting away. And what happens? Soon that becomes a lifestyle. What you don't fight for, you compromise. Can I say that again? What you don't fight for, you compromise. There are days you're going to feel tired. There are days you're not going to feel like waking up. There are days you're going to feel like hitting the snooze on your alarm. There are days you're going to choose to say, ah, I just can't do this. But you're going to have to do some of those things because it keeps you well within the boundaries of God's will. God's will demands obedience. So how do I explain this? This book is an instruction manual. And this book is that big yellow box that you find in an industrial factory. And that box tells you, don't step into this area. Because this area right here has danger. Maybe things are moving on the top. Maybe there could be something that could drop and hurt you. Maybe there could be cranes or, you know, different type of transportations moving in that vicinity. Or, you know, for whatever reason, they have put a big yellow box so you see it. And that yellow box is this. And God says, if you live your life within this boundary, you live it within my will. You may not like some things, but this is my will. You may not like the way I say it, but this is my will. You may not be too happy about it, but this is my will. And if you live within this boundary, I'll protect you. I'll keep you. 
That was all he was telling Adam and Eve. And that is the same thing he is telling Noah right now. Noah, build this ark according to this requirement. Do it this way, do it that way. And build it accordingly. He left the details to Noah, but he gave him the context of what he required Noah to do. And in verses 21, Genesis 6.21, the Bible says, And you shall take for yourself all, all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you, and for them. So I'm going to bring this down to a close quickly here. God doesn't only protect Noah because he's in the boundary. What does God also do? He provides for Noah. He says this food is going to keep you. You know, they have emergency vessels on cruise ships and different huge shipping lines. They have emergency boats that will take, can, can be released into the ocean and taken off in the event of an emergency. And when you get into one of those boats, in that boat, there are food supplies. There are water, there are life jackets, there are all of these necessities that are required to keep you at least for a week on the ocean. And this is what God is trying to tell Noah. You will have enough during the flood, in the ark. But no wife, you stay outside the ark, I can't provide for you. You're not going to have enough. Your family is going to die. There's not going to be sufficient supply. And this was a choice Noah had to make. God was going to protect them. God was also going to provide for them. The third thing that you would find about God in this passage is simply this, that in the will of God, you find the manifested presence of God. That is where the presence of God is. It is in the will of God. Time and time again in my discouragement, in my time, my wife and I battle through just thoughts, you know, this is God, we, we are wondering if this is what you're calling, why is it so hard, God? Why is it so tough, God? And we begin to question, but I tell you, the one thing that has always given me the confidence to know I am in the will of God is that there are moments when I'm praying, I felt the presence of God confirm things with me. God spoke to me sermons that I would preach to the church and that I would minister and God would speak in those sermons and I knew that that presence that was evident, that presence was real. No one can deny I heard God. No one can deny I felt God. No one can deny that God was doing a work in my heart. It was His presence because we knew we were in His will. That is the challenge. That we don't get carried away by the things of this world. But in everything we do, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Genesis 6.18 Look at this profound passage, beloved. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. What a blessing. You know how many stories I heard this week? Young men and young women in the Chandler Conference testify. Young men. 
all messed their lives up, went into drugs, went into all kinds of things. And they came out, they said, you know what? One of this, one of those young boys is Pastor Tony Chase's son. He sings on stage now. He said, I thank God for my parents who prayed for me. That was the only thing that brought him back to God. Time and time this week, so repetitious. I, I, I pondered, I said, God, if there's anything, God, save my children. In this fight that we are on, God, save my children. When my son told me two weeks ago, Dad, Daddy, I felt the presence of God. He's standing behind there. I said, God, I thank you that when it was so hard, we pressed on because that is priceless. That means my son knows the difference, what it means to be in God's presence and what it means to be not in His presence. Some adults don't even know the difference. Have you encountered God? What is His will? First Thessalonians 5.18 I'm getting ready to close. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is His will that we should not be complainers but grateful people. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is such a gen general term. You know what sanctification? God's working in you that you should abstain from sexual immorality. It's His will. Matthew 6.10 Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, often we know as believers, as I close, we know what the will of God is. But it's so interesting. We know His heart. We know His word. We know it is His will to be a witness. We know it is His will to tithe. We know it is His will to give. We know it is His will to be in church. We know it is His will to read the word. We know it is His will to tell the truth. We know that it is His will to do what is right in His sight. We know all of that. But still that free will in all of us doesn't prioritize the will of God anymore. Who cares what God says? I don't feel like doing it. I have my own logic. I have my own rationale. But do you realize, beloved, when you step out of God's will, there's no more protection, there's no more provision, and there's no more presence. The Bible talks about Saul. He says that Saul became so prideful, which is one of the reasons why people don't do the will of God anymore. They step out of God's will. They do their own thing. They decide, oh, this pleases me more than doing what God wants me. And so they step out. And the Bible says the presence of God left Saul. Do you know that's possible? That God no longer wants to visit us? That any blessing you seem to see, it's just because of your own hard work and your own labor. But when you're right with God, God, you know, have you heard of that term, the tailwind effect? 
when a, when a plane is flying and all of a sudden the plane is traveling at a certain thousand uh, uh, speed, you know, and, and what happens is there's a wind, there's a gush, there's a tail and it pushes the plane even though it's traveling at that certain speed or you're going downhill and you're driving down and you don't even need the press but the car is just speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, speeding up and it's good, it's good. increasing in speed. Do you know when God is with you, not only what you touch can prosper, but God can multiply it over and you can sit back and wonder to yourself, how did God do that? In my own human strength, I couldn't do that. Because you have God's presence with you. See, God will always supernaturally provide for you what you need to fulfill His will. God did it with Abraham, didn't He? He gave Isaac to Abraham supernaturally. He said, will you sacrifice? Abraham said, yes. Why? Why was he willing? He wanted to be in the will of God. And God, when he went up Mount Moriah, God provided a ram that was caught in a ticket. What about, what about the story of the children of Israel that journeyed uh, through the desert? And the Bible says they journeyed and God provided all the way through. For, super in the desert, in the driest, in the famine? How do you do that, God? How does God do that? To enable them to fulfill His will in their lives. What about the five loaves and the two fish? To do His will, to hear His word, God provided for them. So how does God equip? How does God provide? Beloved, that remains a mystery. But the truth is, God is able... God is supernaturally able to give you what you need if you say yes to His will. If this morning you would come to this altar and say, God, I want to do what is right, God. I want to do Your will, God. I want to walk in obedience, God. I want to do right. And there are times you may feel it's hard, it's difficult, it's not easy to do. But I'm here to tell you when you take that step, just like Peter, when he stepped out of that boat, there was a supernatural move of God that no man can explain. God gets involved. In the same way, beloved, the church... God has provided us. You are God's provision for this church to accomplish the will that God has for this church. If you are obedient, if every person here is obedient, not only in the area of finances, but also in the area of serving, saying, I want to do something for God. I want to get involved. You know, one of the fascinating things that people don't appreciate, and I forgot to say this last week, but one of the things people don't appreciate is now the church functions even without me or my wife. Thank God. Okay, don't, don't think it's bad, okay? Let me explain what I mean to you, okay? If I didn't preach... One of these men would preach. If I don't, am not here for service, 
the service and the church will still run. So the church don't revolve around me anymore. Are you following what I'm saying? That's maturity. When the church is small, when the church is at pioneer stage, the pastor does everything. Now the church is at a different level. Thank God for that. Yes, I preach. Yes, I minister. Yes, I do a lot of the things on the background. I get involved. But most of these ministries, these young men do, these young women do, they get involved, they're participating, they're getting and they and, and, and they're doing it well. That's maturity. That means the church moved from a place of dependence to a place of independence today. Where God is able to raise up men and women who will take their place in the church. That's vital, beloved. Are you with me? That's not a bad thing. Because I remember when I had to open the church doors. And I remember when I had to turn on the sound machine. And I remember when I had to get on stage and test, test, test. test. And I rem- you remember when I had to worship lead. And you remember when I was running back and forth, no, 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 the sound is not right and go and fix the sound and come back. And you remember the times when we had to switch off, lock up, clean the church. The church has matured, beloved. We are people doing work in the church for God. Thank God for that. That's why I'm reading the scripture to you, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has set the members. God set us together. Each one of them in the body just as He pleased. So can I say to you right now, the church and its body, God put us together for a purpose. He was pleased that He saw you walk into this way. He was pleased that He saw me become the pastor of this church. He was pleased with setting all those things in place because He knows with this group of people, the will of God can be done. And what is God's will? Whatever the Word of God commands us to do, the great commission and the great commandment. I challenge you this morning, whatever your place is, don't run from the will of God. There was a story about a fighter pilot. I said four times close already. I closed this time. Honesty, honest, honest. 38 minutes, I'm done. For a number of reasons, most of our flying, this was a story from a fighter pilot. I just want you to listen to this. Give me two minutes and I'm done. Most of our flying was done in formations of aircraft. 3, 6, 12 or 18 in a group. The flight leader had to keep the airplanes in close formation in order to guide them through maneuvers. So we flew very close together for effectiveness and for safety. Formations, when, they're form, when, when there's a formation, cannot maneuver as easily as a single aircraft. And we would sometimes be in the clouds for short distances. The visibility would be almost zero. Sometimes one could not even see any part of the next plane. There was an uneasy feeling when the clouds were full of airplanes with 14-foot propellers turning 1,800 revolutions per minute. 
We trim the aircraft's control surfaces to remain in formation with the lead plane, even with hands off the control. We did, we did this while we were in the clear. And when we entered the clouds, the plane would maintain their relative positions for a reasonably short time, even if we lost sight of other planes in the clouds. The secret was to have the airplane on course and steady before entering the clouds. Then when visibility, when they couldn't see anything, we kept everything just like it was. No climbing, no turning, no diving, no changes. Straight ahead, the undisciplined pilot was tempted to bolt. That would have led to a certain disaster. The safest course, he says, is this. Go right on doing what you were doing. In other words, when they go into the place where visibility is almost at zero, they have already positioned their plane before going in and they just stay without adjusting the controls. Can I tell you, beloved, Satan's agenda is to drift every Christian away from the will of God. But I want you to know, even when you don't see, just do what is right. Stay the course. Don't modify anything. Don't change anything. Don't switch things around, beloved. When there's anxiety, there's fear, there's doubt, there's unbelief that tries to steer you, you're tempted to take control of the steer, the, 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 the control bar, and you're tempted to shift gears and say, boom, I'm going to turn off. Don't do it. Don't do it. In the silence, Stay disciplined. And you will indeed come out all right. I want you to bow your heads with me. In the day and age we're living in, all that has happened with COVID and Christians are often tempted to change what they're doing, to start compromising to start shifting gears, to stop doing the right thing. And God has commanded us to build the ark and we get carried away by what the world is screaming and shouting on the outside. We start giving in to those things. We start embracing those things. Fear comes in. Anxiety comes in. And today, I'm asking you right now to ponder and to examine. Today, you are no longer in the will of God. There are things you've compromised. Maybe it's in the area of your prayer life. Maybe it's in the area of coming to church. Maybe it's in the area of reading the word. In whatever arena it is, beloved, you have begun compromising. Maybe in the past, God was first in your finances. Every time you honored Him first. But you started compromising. You make an excuse. And here's the challenge right now. Will you keep doing right 
so you can remain in the will of God. In the will of God is protection, provision, and God's manifested presence. You will feel it, church. You will know it when you are in His will. If we're not, we need to repent. We need to get it right today. We need to say, God, I'm sorry. I have drifted. I have moved away, God. I have walked away from you. I have taken you less seriously, God. In this one and a half years, I have compromised. I'm no longer in your will, God. There's peace when you're in His will. Protection is His peace. I want to pray this morning and I want to believe that God's going to help you. But before we do that, you're in this place. You say, Pastor, I don't know the Lord. I'm not saved. I'm not right with God. But I want to get it right this morning. I want you to come forward. I want you to lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Anyone at all not right with God, lift up your hands. Say, that's me. I want to get saved. I want to get right with God. Amen. Amen. It is in His will. Your blessing flows because you're doing what is right according to His will. Don't let the devil lie to you this morning. Don't let the devil lie to you and say, oh, you don't have to do so much. You don't have to be so obedient. Listen, your children, your family, your future hangs in the balance of you staying in the will of God. Do right, beloved. Do right. Amen. Would you stand all over this building? God is helping us in this place. You come, find a place to pray and begin to speak to God. Say, God, you know what? I know I have messed up, but I want to repent, God. I want to do right, God. I want to do your will, oh God, this morning. Anything your word declares, anything that your word proclaims, I want to do, God. You come and find a place to pray. Oh, Jesus, we need you this morning, oh God. Oh, Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray, oh God. Help us to do your will. Not my will, God, but your will be done, oh God. Not my will, but your will be done, God. Lord, I want your see. I want you to bless your people as they make decisions, God. Lord, to build the ark, oh God. Do your will, oh God. yes. Would you stand as we sing this out? You've given my soul abundant life. Majestic is your name. My lips shall sing your praise. And my heart shall cry aloud and say, You're mine. Yes, yes, you are. And my lips shall sing your praise I lift my hands to you To bless
bless your name I surrender Make my life a sacrifice of praise Would you give Him praise this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord Church, how many